Hi there, it's Tracy, and I have a special bonus episode for you today. But before we get started, I have a question. Have you ever wanted to learn more about your family's past, but not sure where to begin? Over the years, we've had people reach out to us, sharing how much they've enjoyed listening to the show, and that they've wanted to ask questions to learn more about their own family's history, but are either too scared or don't know where to start. Well, good news, we've created the VBP Conversation Kit. It's a deck of cards with 48 questions to help you start the conversation, including a quick timeline of major historical events and how to record your stories and share them on the VBP Journeys Collective. We hope the kit will help make the process less intimidating and more fun for families to share stories at home. So check it out at vietnameseboatpeople.org forward slash share. A few weeks ago, I hosted an intimate discussion with three Vietnamese Americans who have or are about to publish their first memoir. They are not writers by trade. However, they became writers as a result of finding an outlet to deal with the emotions that have been buried deep inside and the family secrets that they have had to keep. And in that process of writing all their thoughts down as a way to heal, their words turned into stories and now published books. Take a listen. Tonight's event is about family histories and emotional truths and the journey in writing memoirs or just writing in general for your own personal experience. I am so honored to have with us this evening three Vietnamese American writers who turned to writing as a way to confront and reconcile with their history and their upbringing. Tonight's conversation, I do wanna give shout outs to our supporters in making this event and our programs possible. They are the New Jersey Council for the Humanities and Quilhawk Publishing, uh, which is a Vietnamese women-owned indie publishing house. We would thank them both for supporting this evening's event. I also want to thank everyone who donated to this evening's event. We have automatically entered you into a raffle that we will host at the end of the evening. And also for those who purchased the Vietnamese Boat People Conversation Kit. Um, it's a dear project of mine that started out digital two years ago, and we finally were able to create physical kits to distribute. Um, if you haven't received your kit yet, we will be emailing you again this week for your mailing address, so those will go out to you. So without further ado, let's start the show. Um, we do have a jam-packed uh, evening with lots of discussions, topics, and, and conversation that we want to get through. Um, what I'd like to do is quickly introduce each of our guests and then ask them to share a little bit more about themselves and their books. So first, we have Alison Hongwing, Lihalaha, and she is the author of the recently published memoir, Salted Plums. Alison was born in Vietnam and grew up in Florida and Kansas before heading to the West Coast and settling in Hawaii. She was the first in her family to complete a university education, graduating from the University of Kansas. Her career has included legal advocacy, contract management, and real estate sales. Allison has spent the past 10 years living abroad with her husband and children in Saudi Arabia, and most recently, South Korea. And actually, I think she's dialing in from South Korea this <laughs> this morning. Um, Salted Plums is her first publication. So welcome, Allison. I'm going to put you off mute. Um, could you share a little bit about yourself? Hi, everyone. I am Allison Hongwen Lihalaha. And as Tracy said, I am the author of Salted Plums, a memoir of culture and identity. Um, it's an exploration of my experiences and the relationships that I've had over the course of my life that have impacted how I view myself and how I have interacted with others. And it's uh, really a coming of age memoir um, where I explore all the different ways that I felt uncomfortable being who I am and eventually coming to terms with 
my culture, my heritage, and uh, learning to embrace being Vietnamese. Thank you, Tracy, for having me here. Thank you, Allison. And um, I, I love the book so far. I'm on the last chapter, so I'm not going to spoil it for others, but um, it's definitely been a wonderful read for me so far. Um, our next guest is Len Tran. And congratulations to Len, who is the author of the book Split Up by Sea. And um, Len's ebook just published today. Um, and I believe the physical book is coming out in the next few weeks. Um, Len was a boat person. He is the oldest of seven kids and left Vietnam with his father and arrived in New York City in 1982. After having been at sea for 21 days and then seven months at both refugee camps in Hong Kong and the Philippines. He is currently a manager at the Patent and Trademark Office for the last 17 years in the Chemical Engineering Division. Len is also the founder of Kinetic Mind, where he works with individuals to destroy distractions and increase productivity. Split Up by the Sea is his first book. Welcome, Len. Thank you very much for the introduction, Tracy. Hi, everyone. My name is Len Tran. Uh, my Vietnamese name is Lin Vân Tân. So the, the last time when I asked someone to put a non-Vietnamese to pronounce my name Tân, I figured, you know, let's just go with Tran. It's, it's comfortable with everyone. When I wrote Split Up by the Sea, my intention was to write a motiv motivational book. And as I got to the further chapters around chapter three, I realized that a lot of the scenes that I wrote were scenes that I've learned during the journey coming to America with my dad and 23 other people in that boat uh, with that 21 days. So I decided to take a different route from writing a motivational book to a memoir. And I'm glad that I did because it allows me to have those buried emotions finally expressed in the book. And now that I'm able to share it with the world. And I just want to a shout out for Quill Hawk Publications Publishing. Uh, they were the ones who helped me move forward. And I'm happy and thank you, Tracy, um, for announcing that. Yes, the ebook is out today. Thank you. Thank you, Len. And I know your children are watching in a different room today. So hi to the kids. Um, and last but certainly not least, our next guest is Christina Vo. She is the author of The Veil Between Two Worlds, coming out in early 2023. Christina is a writer who previously worked for international organizations in Vietnam and Switzerland, including UNICEF and the World Economic Forum. She also ran a floral design business in San Francisco, as well as worked as a donor relations writer for the University of California, San Francisco. She's a graduate of the London School of Economics and Political Science and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She currently resides in Santa Fe, New Mexico. The Veil Between Two Worlds is her first book. Welcome, Christina. Hi, thank you, Tracy. And I'm very glad to be here with all of you. Um, yeah, so my name's Christina Vo. The Veil Between Two Worlds is my first book that will be published. It's actually not the first one. I finished another one um, about a decade ago, but didn't do anything with that. But that's sort of another story. But The Veil is really a spiritual memoir that, um, you know, it frames a two-year period, but goes back in time. You know, it, it kind of, I don't really like linear um, books. So, so I purposely decided to kind of go back and forth in time between like, you know, recent past 2021, but also two years ago when I turned 40 and also, you know, the distant past with the loss of my mother and different family situations that really um, kind of, you know, influenced who, who I became. So it's, a, it's an interwoven narrative, both of recent past and, and history, and obviously a lot with my Vietnamese parents. And, um, but overall, I would say it's very much a spiritual journey. And ceremonial in some ways, is how I would like to describe it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and, and I love what you said, because I think all of your stories 
are um, about interweaving both your childhood reflections in your parents and um, your family's history, but then perspective of what those experiences have done or influenced for you as adults. Yes. Um, yeah. So I would love to ask just, you know, when you think back on your childhood and growing up as Vietnamese Americans, um, and now, you know, being writers um, that have written memoirs about your, your life, what do you remember most of what your childhood was like and what your families were like? And I think what I'll do is start with Len on that because he is the oldest of seven and I'm the youngest of seven. And I know what big families can be like. Thank you, Tracy. So when I came uh, to America in November 28th, which is uh, almost 40 years ago, and it was just only me and my dad. At that time, we were sponsored and were brought to the South Bronx of New York City. Now, those of you who are watching and you have lived in New York City during that time, probably not the best place to raise your, your children or even, even a life. And the reason why I'm saying that was because uh, we were placed in a poor neighborhood, uh, high crime, high drugs. And the worst part is we had nothing. Now, at that time, I was eight. My dad was 36. And most people who I know at the age of 36 would rather just go and make money. But instead, he made a choice. He said, I want to get my GED. So it, to him, it doesn't matter who he's gonna sit in the class with, 18, 19 year old kids. To him, an education is important. So he got his GED, then he got his associates, his bachelor. And as I was growing up, I watched all of that. I see what exactly he's doing so that I'm trying to mimic his, his steps his route to success. And because of that, in 1993, when I was in college, suddenly out of nowhere, he knocked on my door and he said, I'm going to college with you. You already have your degree, dad. What were you doing going to college with me? Well, he said, I'm gonna go back and get my master's. And so he went and we both graduated the same day. Uh, and he sat six rows ahead of me. So all of that, all of the things that he did as a dad was pretty, it plays a big influence for me growing up so that I myself can teach to my kids in the future. No, I love that. And it was you and your dad for quite some time, correct? Just the two of you. Yes. Uh, so when we came to America in 1982, it was just only me and my dad. In 1990, uh, almost close to 1990, my mom and six of my siblings came to America. They also took the boat journey, just like us. The only differences was when they got to Hong Kong, my mom wrote a letter and my dad sponsored them directly coming to America. So they didn't have to grow, go through the Philippines, uh, which you have to stay there for six months, learn the English before they bring you here. So my family got reunited in 1990. Um, and that's where I detail a lot in the book. And the reason why I come up with Split Up with the Sea was because in when we decided to take that journey to come to America to find freedom, I was split from my family, from my mom and from my siblings. But in the process of coming to America with turmoil, um, being poor, living in a neighborhood where others, other Vietnamese refugees were there as well. So we, we have another family, but 
with that, I was able to have something which I wanted because my family's not here. So I want something to replace while my father was working and was working and, and studying. I needed that, but at the same time, I know that it's something that it's gonna be difficult when my family comes here as well. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of a lot of that details is I was able to write in the book. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm I'm glad to express that kind of emotions, uh, my my hidden feelings in in the book. Yeah, and um, it, it's great to hear sort of your dad being that role model for you, being in this new country and just um, showing you sort of the motivation behind building a new life. Um, I know, you know, when I read Allison your book, um, your childhood was actually. Um, you know, th there were complexities behind your relationship with your parents. And I know your father passed away when you were very young. So can you share a little bit about your own upbringing? Yes. Uh, I came over to the U.S. with both of my parents and my maternal grandmother. And um, I also had an older sister and an older brother. And my younger sister was born just a couple of weeks before we left Vietnam. Um, so unlike Lynn, I had more of my family when almost all of my family uh, when we left Vietnam. My childhood it consisted of a lot of poverty, just like Lynn's story, but where his father persevered through education, I watched my mother struggle for many years, especially after my dad uh, passed away. And she worked really hard to raise seven of us kids. There are also seven kids in my family and I'm the third oldest. And I watched her struggle with working her fingers to the bone. She um, cleaned houses, she cooked food that she delivered to the different uh, uh, Asian supermarkets in town. And I thought to myself, I, I can see how hard she's working and I don't want that life for myself. So um, she was a role model, but in a different way. I looked at her and I said, these are the things I don't want when I'm an adult. I don't want a bunch of kids that I can barely support. And uh, at the same time, I don't want to be working so hard that there's not much joy in my life. Um, and I watched my mom struggle for for my entire childhood and into um, my early adulthood. So it it was striking for me to recognize, uh, just like Lynn's father, that education is going to be my ticket out of there, and my ticket to moving beyond poverty and and working so hard. So those are the memories that I have of my childhood and of my family. It was very noisy, very chaotic, um, but I did watch how my mom struggled and that gave me the determination to, to move um, beyond that. Yeah, and I think Christina, you have a much smaller family, correct? Yes, yes, it's just, um... Uh, I have an older sister who's two years older than me. And then, you know, actually it's interesting just growing up. So, you know, my dad um, arrived in the States in 75 and then my mom in, in 1976 um, in Connecticut. And then um, they had met in medical school in Vietnam. And actually in, in my upbringing, there was a lot of movement that I now see was a lot of sort of, um, there was a lot of trauma too. It, it was, you know, displaced, it was unspoken. Um, my family actually didn't, you know, I don't know about your families, but we didn't communicate any sort of emotional truths or, you know, there wasn't anything really shared among us. And even still with my father, I mean, we have a good relationship, but we don't actually communicate very much. We both write. And that's how I think I've known more about him, but they actually, they didn't speak Vietnamese to us. They didn't talk about Vietnam. My mom was actually born and raised in Cambodia and, um, you know, then left to, from Cambodia because Vietnamese were being persecuted in Cambodia to go to Vietnam. 
And, you know, they had a son there who, who passed, you know, right after like in 19, like right before my mom came to the States, but all of that, they never, they never shared any of that. So I would, you know, there were, i found some photos, you know, in the basement in a box, all these photos of a place that looked tropical. I mean, I thought it was Vietnam because I'd heard Vietnam, but I didn't know that it was actually Cambodia for my mom. And then when she passed away, when I was a teenager, um, yeah, I just felt, I mean, I really didn't know either of them, but I really, a lot of my early desire to write was actually a discovery of my mom and a way to keep her memories alive. Because I thought like, first of all, I didn't really know her. I didn't know anything about her life in Vietnam. I, I also discovered so much more about her per personality, you know, after, you know, through my travels and spending time with her family members. So a lot of my twenties actually was putting together you know, my family story and under, and, and then I think in my thirties, I was sort of processing it in the forties. I can kind of finally pull it together, but, but, you know, things happen as they do. And I'm in, in some ways I'm, I'm sort of grateful that it's been my path that, that I at least came to writing and, and found a way to understand them, connect them, and also develop full pictures of them as, as humans through writing. Yeah, that's a great segue actually into my next question, because um, just listening to the three of you, like there are some um, common traits among our family, I think, in, in Vietnamese households, you know, just not always having that open communications with our parents when we were children um, and kind of like same with you in my 40s, kind of starting to process all of that and figuring out my own identity. Um, but at the same time, each of your stories are quite different. The one thing that I did notice is that um, none of you guys actually studied creative writing or to become a professional writer. But here you are, having gone through the journey and um, soon to have your own book, you know, first book, but I think probably many more to come after the, these first ones. Um, so I'm going to start with Allison and just ask, how did your journey in writing come about? My writing journey started when after we, well, let me start a little earlier. Um, my husband and I left California when our son was one and ended up moving to a small country called Tunisia in North Africa. And this was in 2010. Uh, just a few months after we moved there, the Arab Spring happened. So we watched as the revolution unfolded and spread across the um, uh, North Africa and the Middle East. And we lived there for three years while my husband worked and I managed the household, raised our son, and I blogged about our experiences living there. And after we left Tunisia, we moved to Saudi Arabia I was looking for something to do, some sort of um, project or purpose. And my husband said, well, why don't you write about our experiences in Tunisia? Because that's an interesting story. So I hired a writing coach through one of the writing programs that I had found. And I worked with her after a couple of months, a month or two of working with her, I ran out of steam on my uh, Tunisia story, my expat living story. And she said, you know, why don't you write about you, write about yourself and your childhood and uh, your experiences. And so she gave me prompts. And over the course of a year, I worked with her to dive into different topics about my childhood, whether it was my family or food or uh, cultural practices. And we talked about those things uh, when we met um, by phone or online. And she would ask me questions and I would dive deeper and deeper. And it was, it was like therapy to work with her. And at the end of the full year that I worked with her, I had enough essays to compile into a manuscript. Um, but by then, my emotions were really raw because I had dug up a lot of um, memories of my relationship with my mom and 
it's been up and down with her my entire life. Uh, we go through periods where we're really good, and then we go through periods where we clash really bitterly. And so I had to set aside that manuscript and sit on it for a while uh, so that I could process what I was feeling and then come back to it and figure out how I was going to move on from, from what I had written. And that's, that's actually where my memoir comes from. It's from working with the writing coach and, and writing all of those essays. And how many years was it in the making? Oh, I'd say about six years. Yeah. <laughs> so it was yeah. a really long journey. And what, what I find is so interesting is that you weren't necessarily seeking to kind of open these cobwebs and these wounds from your past, but it kind of just organically, you know, was a process for you to confront some of these things in your relationship with your parents. Um, so I, I think that's very interesting because naturally sometimes people think of writing as a way to kind of heal something that they're trying to deal with. Um, and I want to kind of jump to Len because I know his writing journey has been a little bit more recent, but I think, Len, you were motivated by something that had been sitting with you for a very long time, like a, a specific family secret that you don't necessarily have to share now, but I know that your motivation to start writing was a little bit different. Yeah, so for me, it was a uh, an unexpected thing, and I mentioned in the beginning there's a reason why I did engineering is because my writing skill is not that great. Uh, if, if anything, I, I can write a, a manual of how to operate something, but not something that I can explain my emotions. So when I decided to switch from writing a motivational book to a memoir, um, I was writing the same way as I would write in engineering. But thanks to my wife, when she read a few chapters and then she asked me, she goes, how do you feel in the process? You, you telling, you're telling me what happened, but how do you feel in the process? And right after, when she asked me that question, I went back to my computer, computer closed myself in the office and I didn't, I didn't want her to see it, but I guess right now she's, she's watching this. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't hold back. I, I was shedding tears because all of those times when I went back in 1982, when my father wasn't at home, when he was working and studying, I was the only child at home in, in an apartment, an eight-year-old kid. And that went for a long time. And every time when I think back, it, and I'm writing about it, it, it really brings out that emotions. It, it, it really makes me question my goodness, how did that happen? How, how, how come I, I got here without, without my mom, without my siblings? And for a long time, I never asked my dad that question. I never asked him that, you know, you have, you have seven kids, why, why you pick me? Um, I, I mean, we, we could find freedom together or, or we could die together in, at sea, but now that we are here in America, you still haven't given me an answer yet. So as I was writing it, I detail every emotions I felt. I brought up to the part where we were living with another family. And again, once again, I'm, I'm writing and I'm asking, why, why? But the more that I dive deep into these feelings, I just want to write more. And I find out that if you are writing a memoir, it's great when you cry because that's when a lot of, a lot of thoughts come up. Uh, when you don't cry, there's nothing to write. Then you go back to the, I don't know, engineering mode or just write factual stuff. But when you cry, you can write at least two, three chapters. So don't stop crying if you decide to write a memoir. But all the way up to my adulthood, when I, when I wrote all the way up to my adulthood, that's when I decided, I said, you know what? Um, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Maybe I should start asking my dad some of these. And, and I'm glad that I decided to take that route to write a memoir 
because I was able to connect with him to ask him some of those unanswered questions. That's why the day that I finished this book, it gives me closure. I finally got what I wanted to hear 40 years later. So the, the, the message to everyone is, if, if you feel that you need to have that answer, and if you feel that you need to have it in a book um, so that it can bring, bring back all the emotions, um, do so because I, I find that it's, it's therapeutic for me, for at least. Yeah, I know just listening to you guys is motivating me to start some sort of writing routine. Um, I do wanna just ask Christina this very same question because I think Christina, you had mentioned to me that you've always been writing. Writing's kind of always been a part of you. Um, I think your father has actually published a couple of um, Vietnamese boat people stories as well. So um, I'd love to kind of hear your journey and how you began converting that personal writing to actually, you know, things that you want to publish publicly. Yeah. Um, well, first I want to say, uh, kind of, you know, build on what Len said, because I had a writing teacher, just a one-on-one, -on -one, I basically, yeah, kind of like a coach, um, I don't know, about eight years ago, and he would read chapters of my work, and he, you know, he said to me one day, he said, this, you know, you're writing a good story, but it's a really sad story, and if you're not crying while you're writing, you're not writing the right story, and that was actually, you know, in, in that iteration of what that was, it, you know, it has come, it, I put that in, you know, another project that I'm working on, but at that time he was correct because I wasn't crying and I was withholding a lot and that's kind of, you know, not the point, you know, so I, I totally agree with what Len is saying is it's a part of the beautiful process of writing memoir. Um, my journey with, you know, I actually remember when my mom, you know, when my mom was sick and I was 13 and she died when I was, um, 14, um, I remember she used to go, she was, you know, a very resilient woman and, and she had cancer, but she would still go through the same routine of everything that she did, you know, before she was diagnosed with cancer in terms of, you know, what she did for me and my sister. So every morning, even if she felt sick, she would wake up before everyone else and like make a homemade meal. And then like, by the time we actually all woke up, she was asleep you know, on the, on the sofa. So I would, and she had this like small green Vietnamese Bible that she would also read in a rosary. And, and I would go, I, I wasn't even religious then, but I pretended. So I like had a Bible that I brought down and I would sit next to her. And I remember her telling her friends that I was such a good daughter because of that, but I really wasn't reading the Bible. I just kind of did it, you know, cause I knew she would like that. But anyway, at that moment, I, I, knew that I should write. And I, I felt that, you know, there was like a voice or some, something that told me like that I should document that because I, I won't remember in the future. I won't remember the details. And I also would need it just to process the pain because I think young, you know, when you're young, that, that, that loss, that death, I mean, even, you know, but for both of you, like, you know, Allison losing your dad and Len, you know, realize, you know, realizing that you were a small kid alone, like that, it's a lot for us to process as, younger people. We don't, I don't think we have the wherewithal to do that. And I d actually didn't write, but at that time, um, I wish I would have more, but I didn't. And then, and then it really kind of actually, you know, after my mom passed, that's when my dad started writing. So he wrote, he, he wrote a for, he didn't call it a memoir, but it basically was, uh, you know, an autobiography, semi-autobiographical novel, but it was pretty much his story, um, that he self-published at that time. And then he continued writing about, Vietnamese history mainly, you know, and I, I have not read everything, but what I learned about when he was writing all, all, all that time while also being a doctor, I started to understand that this man's, he, although he doesn't speak very much and we didn't have much of that verbal relationship, his greatest love was Vietnam, South Vietnam, Saigon. And I was like, okay, if the, you know, this man loves Vietnam so much that he can write like 20 books in different iterations of the history and, and collaborating with his medical school friends and collecting these stories. And I'm like, this is like, this, this, this is the way to know him. And, and then for me, it, it just, I don't know why I, I, I don't know why, you know, I, I, that came to me too, but it just, I just started processing everything through writing and, you know, there would be periods where I would write daily. And I also worked as a writer, but that was a different type of writing. And then I would stop when I had my floral design business, I stopped for about 
four years because my creative expression was through floral design. And then I returned to writing. And now I think I finally claimed it, still slowly claiming it. But, um, you know, it's something I just have to every day, even if it's like a short amount. I'd like to always work on longer projects because I'm, I'm more satisfied by longer projects than like sort of short pieces, but it, it really helps me like process the world and people around me. And I actually, I think a lot of my friends get frustrated with me because I can't often like verbally express many of the things. I feel like I'm actually a Vietnamese man in that way. And I think it's because I grew up with my dad. It's like, I actually can't express the things that I really want to express verbally. And I recently just a couple of days ago wrote, you know, something about a close friend of mine who, who is part of this, you know, forthcoming memoir. And he read it and he was like, I really feel like you understand me, but you never say these things. <laughs> like, like I, I can read that you really see me, but when I'm with you, I don't always feel that you see me in the way. So I don't know. It's something I'll have to reconcile with, but, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I love kind of listening to, to you describe that. And even all of you guys, it feels like the process of writing is um, it's almost like a personal um, conversation to yourself, right? Kind of taking that time and just having a conversation, being truth, but not in a way where like, it's much harder to have a conversation out loud, right? But when you write it, you know, the tears flow, the heart opens, the vulnerability is gets put on the table. Um, you know, we have some questions coming in, so I do want to actually get to them because we've got some two really good ones. Um, I think I'm going to start off with Allison on this one. So Allison, in your book, um, you know, I think very early on, one of your chapters um, was titled, and I, I apologize if I'm not getting this exactly right, but it was titled something like My Dad, the Drunk, the Wife Beater. Mm. And it was just so blunt putting it out there as a chapter. And you proceeded to talk about the love and the hardworking um, aspect of your father and the softness to him. But it, there were so many things going on in life that was draining him that you also saw sort of like the ugly that came out as well. Um, so you share a lot of what I'm sure was so hard to put on paper and even harder to then put it out in the public. So one question that we have um, that uh, Grace put in the Q&A is, how did your family and larger Vietnamese Southeast Asian community respond to your work? And I know it's only been published since August, but what's been some of the feedback that you've gotten from either your family or the community? My siblings have all read my memoir. My mom hasn't read my book, but uh, from reading it, they said, you know, thank you for uh, chronicling our family story and um, for expressing uh, your feelings and, and what we've gone through. My father was a fisherman in the Gulf of Mexico and he worked really hard and I, write, I, when I wrote that chapter about him, and even now, I still have a great deal of love for him, and I remember him as a wonderful father, but the reality was he was a terrible husband to my mom, and um, so I wanted to bring that truth out in our family dynamics, because we, my siblings, when we did talk about my dad, um, or remembered him on the anniversary of his death, we, I think we all expressed a warmth about our memories of him. Um, and I think in a way we were hiding or setting aside um, the bad things that happened when he was alive. And I remember there was a point when I was in high school where I thought, you know, it was probably a good thing that he passed away because otherwise I may not have finished high school. I probably would have gotten pregnant and gotten married really, really young. And my life trajectory would have been completely different. Uh, and I think that his story, there, there were a lot of Vietnamese fishermen in the Gulf of Mexico. And I mentioned that in the book and I'll, a lot of my family on my dad's side 
they were also uh, in the fishing industry, especially in Biloxi. Uh, it's good to to express those stories and and they were happy to see that I talked about the fishing industry and and how my how my parents dynamics were because the reality is a lot of families are fractured like that but but we Vietnamese people don't want to talk a lot about our past we want to cover it up and and work hard and do whatever it is we need to do to make sure that right now we're okay and in the future especially we're going to be okay i'm not sure if i completely answered the question there you did and um i know your your mom is still with you or is still around she is still around i saw her this summer and i spent some time with her and uh, we almost lost her during um, the winter of 2021, um, I guess January, February of 2021, because she got COVID and she ended up in the hospital. And at the time I was still working on getting my book published and I thought, you know, how dreadful, I won't be able to see her if she passes away. I'm, I'm gonna be devastated because I, I hadn't seen her since 2018. And it was a pretty long stretch of time that I hadn't seen her. And I felt really um, desperate to get back to see her. So this past summer I did go and my sons and I and my husband, we spent time with my mom and we stayed with her. But ironically, the tumultuous relationship I have with her continues. We still had drama, we still had issues and we still butted heads on different things because we are um, as hard-headed as we both are. Um, we still are very um, set in what we think and how we want to operate. Oh, I know. I always tell people that it doesn't matter how old you are, your parents will always view you as a child. <laughs> and so yes. some of that dynamics, they don't change, right? That's right. Um, so I have another question, and I'm actually going to um, put this one over to, to Len. Um, this question comes from Ashley, and she asks, what is something unexpected that you experienced during your writing journey, whether it's learning about something new about yourself or your family? Thank you, Ashley. Well, first of all, I've learned that... Um, that I can write besides engineering stuff. I can write uh, a memoir and expressing my feelings. And, and I do discover now that I do cry a lot, which, which is strange. Now, growing, growing up you know, in a Vietnamese family, and I, I couldn't say uh, any better than what Allison pointed out. Um, as an Asian child, if they tell you to stay there and be quiet, you stay there and be quiet. Even though you have this urge and say, Lord, I want to express more, you stay quiet. And that's how it was for me for a very long time. As much as I want to open up and express my feeling, asking my parents, you know, what are they thinking? Uh, so that I would know, so that I can respond better. But no, it doesn't work like that in a, in a Vietnamese family, probably in an Asian family. And when I discover, no, not discover, actually witness, Many times, why my parents are fighting, why uh, this misunderstanding between the parents and then between the siblings, it was because of that. It was because we are not allowing ourselves to talk and to, to sit down and have, I don't know, an, an American dinner style where, where we can sit and chat. You know, a Vietnamese dinner would, yeah, you would sit together, but you're holding your bowl of rice and your chopstick, you're done and get out and clean the dishes. You know, this is not one of those where, okay, how was school today? You better do well in school and I don't want to hear any other, any other stuff. And so while writing, like, like I mentioned earlier, it allows me to revisit all of that. And the funny thing is when I finished my manuscript, I was asking myself, how much do I want to disclose? But then I have to be honest with myself too. If I am going to find closure, I have to disclose every single thing that has been bothering me. 
Otherwise, I would never going to go past that. 10 years from now, after my, my memoir, I would be like, oh, no, you know what? I'm still feeling the same way that I felt for so long. So I decided to disclose every single thing. The time that I split for my, my, my mom, the time that my dad has another family. And it didn't feel good when I wrote all of that because I figured, okay, you know what? My family's gonna find out because they, they, they have to read the book. But I kept on asking myself, is, is this right? Is this right? And the next two words is, is this right for me? For me, because I am the one who's finding closure. And when I hear and see that big yes, I, I kept on writing, I, I kept on writing and it felt good. As of today, the only people in my family who read that book was my brother-in-law and my nephew. And I'm glad that they came to me and say, wow, you know what? This really says it all because now I can understand why there was turmoil that's happening in the family. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate that they understood from my point of view, from my perception. Both my mom and dad haven't read my book, but I will find a way for my dad to read it because I feel that even though I cannot express my feeling to him growing up as an Asian, as a Vietnamese child, uh, now I'm, I'm 47, almost 48. I think it's time. I'm, I'm not a little boy anymore. Yeah. From, Man to man, I want to open up. And I also want him to find closure himself. Yeah, I always feel that we have more to gain than to lose um, at this stage in our lives, right? Um, it's like the, the time that our parents are still with us. It's like, let, let's find that closure together. Um, we have another question for Grace, and I'm actually going to um, pivot this one to Christina. Um, because she had mentioned all the Bibles she was given, but not necessarily reading. <laughs> and I grew up super Catholic too, so I know how it feels. Um, but the question is, how does the, a sense of faith, or if any, influence you in your life and in, in the memoir that you're writing? A good question. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So my, I actually don't talk about this a lot, but I am a very spiritual person, but not religious. And my memoir is very much a spiritual journey. I mean, there are multiple, um, ayahuasca ceremonies that I, that I write about in there. There are, you know, a handful of spiritual mentors and teachers that show up in my life that, you know, really, I later learned that just were sort of replacement figures for, you know, for, for, I guess, parental figures that I didn't have. Um, so I am, I'm a deeply spiritual person, but my spirituality is very much, you know, kind of how I define it for myself, you know, about I, for a while I followed the, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh and I, I practiced when I lived in Vietnam with a, with a Sangha there. And so meditation has always been a part of my life, but really, and I think I wrote this the other day on an Instagram post, like, my writing has become my spiritual practice because it, you know, a lot of people, when they wake up, they want to go and, you know, meditate. It's a great way to start the morning. But for me, like I have to wake up and I have to write. And it's, you know, because when, when you wake up, especially if you wake up earlier, which I think is a great writing time, like five, if you can wake up around five, like six is even fine because when you come out of that sleep state and you're still sort of in, you know, you're kind of in between worlds and it's, it's this connection to consciousness and, and kind of pure thought for me. Like I just allow words and things to come through me at that time in other parts of the day, I can do like editing or, you know, different types of writing, but um, I don't know if I answered that question. Um, what is the question again? <laughs> how, how faith has influenced you, but I think you did answer it. Okay. Not necessarily <laughs> faith and religion, but it's a spiritual faith that kind of guides you, I think. Yeah. And, and yeah, and that's kind of what um, you know, like I to me actually what I realized later, because the friend that I that is in the story a lot, you know, he was also going through a lot of these ceremonies. Um, many, 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 like many more than me, like, you know, every month, a couple of times. 
And to me, I was just like, we're giving, you know, and there are all these spiritual communities that are popping up and they, and in my opinion, what I've come to realize is that they can be detrimental because, and some can become potentially cultish. And part of that, you know, first memoir is really finding my own spiritual authority, like that I, you know, I found through writing that I found through a connection with the land by coming to Santa Fe through like different for different, you know, there are teachers, not necessarily spiritual ones, more about med meditation and, um, you know, reprogramming our minds. Like I'm interested in, in, in that neuroscience. Um, so I've kind I think I've kind of created my own spiritual authority, which is what I hope people who read the memoir, you know, I, cause I see, I have seen so many of my friends get involved in these different communities that I haven't seen to be helpful and actually almost create a certain level of dependency, particularly in the, in some plant medicine circles, what I would say. And, and, and so, yeah, I actually do have a lot to say about that. I didn't realize. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, so I, I do have another question and I think I'm going to throw this one at Allison. Cause I know she has, I think two kids, right? Two kids. I do too. Um, and one of the things I wanted to ask because Len kind of sparked this one for me was, um, you know, when we were growing up, there was this expectation of, um, obedience and, you know, uh, certain behaviors that are expected from us, from our elders, our parents, and the child, right? There was a very specific uh, definition of what that relationship should look like. But now that you have your own children, and they're growing up as Vietnamese Americans, and I think, Allison, yours is probably even more interesting because you're traveling the world with your kids. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what similarities you see in how you're raising them? and how you were raised and then what the differences have been? And I know that's such a loaded question. <laughs> so just a couple of points. Well, my first son is a biological child. And I, when he came along, he was a huge blessing and we really enjoyed parenting him. My, parenting him, my husband and I, because he's um, curious and dynamic and he has really fun sense of humor um, and is really musical. And we engage in conversations with him about all kinds of issues, world issues, religion, um, culture. And we sit around the dinner table. Uh, Lynn said that he, he would have, there's no dinner table table conversation. But for us, that's something that we have incorporated into our family's routine as we sit down and we eat together and we talk about things. And so with my first son, it was really easy to do all of those things. And then in 2019, um, we adopted a little boy who was seven at the time from Vietnam. And although he and I uh, were able to communicate in Vietnamese, I discovered that he triggered in me all of the parenting uh, nuances from my mom that I disliked. And I ended up seeing my myself um, operating the way my mom was operating with us. And I thought, what has happened here? I don't, I don't know how to proceed. And it took uh, a lot of conversations with my husband, some therapy, and just really working at shifting my my point of view so that I could parent him in a better way than I feel that my mom parented me. And um, so now it's we're evolving still, but I do find that there is a mix between how I want to parent and how my mom parented me. Uh, so it's good and it's not so great, but it's a work in progress. No, I can totally relate. I probably actually see more of my mom than I, than I like in parenting my children. <laughs> um, how about you, Len? That, that is so true. Uh, what Allison said is it's like uh, what you look at often enough and, and you tend to become it. And 
even as much as I didn't like the way that, you know, my parents were so strict, didn't allow us to talk back. <laughs> there are times I find myself, I'm like my dad, I'm like, no, you shouldn't be talking back. But see, seeing that is a good thing because now I can recognize, I can say, okay, you know what? Now I can understand why my dad did that because maybe I, I, I was just either too annoying or maybe not as disciplined. But even though recognizing that I still want to, to change, I allow my kids to talk back, but I also have conditions for them as well. I said, okay, I'll make the first comment. You can always talk back. Then I'll be the one who's gonna make the final decision. They didn't like that at first, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a good thing because I do still cherish some of the Vietnamese discipline uh, because at times before when I implement that, I find that um, if you are going to allow them to give their feedback, their opinion, sometimes it can escalate or can go astray. I am from the point of view that uh, we should discuss and we should get to the point so that we can move forward and not just to dwell on just one issue. Um, so that's, that's how I implement and uh, my, my strategy as, as I'm teaching my kids. Oh, I was on mute. I also find that grandparents now are a lot more open to the dialogue with the, the grandchildren than they were with us, right? As their children. Because my mom's always like, oh, let them speak their minds. It's developing. Don't like, you know, confine them. And certainly that was not, you know, how I was raised, but she's very like open to it now. Um, I cannot believe that we are almost to the end of the program. This conversation has been so good that I just looked up and it's already 827. Um, I do want to just ask one last question, and we'd love to go around the panel to get everyone's response. And I'm going to start with Christina. Um, so there are a couple of um, participants in this audience today that are also kind of going through their own uh, self-discovery, their own uh, reconnecting to their, their history and their stories. And so for those that are just starting out in the writing journey, what advice would you have for them? So first, I, I just want to comment uh, sort of generally about uh, just a theme that I hear within all of us and just about, you know, intergenerational healing, which is really, you know, the work that, you know, all, I, I just want to point that because I just, you know, when I listen to to all of, you know, your stories and I just and kind of the similarities, even though all of our stories are so different, you know, what we're what our, you know, our parents I, and I say this to my my friends all the time, you know, my Vietnamese American friends all the time that, you know, our parents went, you know, they they went through a specific set of circumstances that are so different than ours, you know, and and I think the work that we're doing with with memoir writing is really part of that healing to understand why. And then maybe, you know, somebody else will pick up one of our books and, and see similarities of their own story and then have more compassion, you know, for themselves and for their parents and you know, and I think what Tracy, what you're saying about grandparents, is I think when, because, you know, as, as people age, then they kind of get to the point where they don't want to worry about, they're not worrying about those survival things. And 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 they're thinking about sort of legacy and bigger pictures and, and relationships. So I, I just want to say that I think all of this work is so beautiful. And I really appreciated, you know, listening to, to all of your stories. They're so different, but so the same too. But um, in terms of advice for anybody that, I mean, I, I just believe that like actually everyone should do it and not worry about publishing. Just 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 to to dig because if you listen to what, you know, Len and Allison are saying and I think that what I'm saying too is that what writing allows us to do was to dig through the stories, to to find parts of ourselves, to understand our parents better, to yes, go through those painful moments, but to to paint a fuller picture about why, you know, you know, Allison, your, you know, your father was a, a fisherman like that. There was so much, probably so much in his story that I can just imagine is so rich. And then even Len for your father, you know, just, well, I don't know, you know, I want to know why he just, he chose you, but even that is a hard decision. Like why my dad left my mom and a toddler behind, but why did they, you know, you think about these things and I'm like, he had no choice. He didn't want to go to 
he didn't want to be put in a re-education camp. Like I, I accept that he made that choice as painful as it is. So for me, I would just tell everyone to, you know, just to write and not to everybody's so worried about the external. Like it's not about the, that that's great. I got the physical copy, advanced reader copy and my friend's like, Oh, are you excited? I'm like, not really. You know, it, nothing in my life has, is going to change dramatically. I'm not writing to become anything more than I feel that I already am just me. You know, I, I'm hoping that it might touch someone, but the, I didn't write for the external satisfaction. So sad, you know, so I just think that if, if one wants to, they just find even a small amount of time daily or as much as they can, and then it just will grow and you'll discover so many other things that, you know, you won't think so much about, you know, the external, you'll just want to do it. A hundred percent agreed with you. Like, I, I love that because it really encompasses like, do this for yourself. Right. And it's not about what others perceive or think. It's really your own personal journey. Um, what about you, Len? What advice would you give? Well, actually, now that I listened to Christina and Allison, I should have uh, gotten myself a writing coach. But no, you know what? I didn't have a writing coach. And at times I was doubting myself. I was like, wait, who's going to read my book? I can't even express you know, some of my feelings. You know what? If you have a story to tell, write it any way you like. Don't worry about polishing it up, making it philosophical. or Just write how you feel, how you think. Because after that, there's, there's this thing that's called the editing process. Then you go back there and clean it up. But the very first thing you need to do is put all that feelings, all that emotions, all those things that have been troubling you, just put it on paper and the process will take care of itself. Love that. What about you, Allison? I think my advice would be start talking, start asking questions. Uh, Lynn said that he, he went to his father and started asking questions. He wanted answers. And for me, I didn't go to my mom to ask a lot of these questions. I ended up going to her younger sister and her younger brother, my maternal aunt and uncle. And um, it was mostly due to a language barrier that I have with my mom. I do speak Vietnamese, but I don't have the vocabulary to um, ask her the right questions or to even understand um, a lot of what she might respond with. Um, so for me in the writing process, I did start writing and I did put a lot down, but then when I had questions, I went and I started conversations with people in my life. I asked my siblings, I asked my uncle, I asked my aunt. Occasionally I did ask my mom, um, but I think that if you have conversations and you have even just one question that you want to ask, ask that question and see where it takes you because it may open up uh, other uh, doors to other questions that you didn't know that that you wanted answers to. No, I love that answer as well. And actually that's a, a great segue for me to um, slip in a tiny promotion for VDP <laughs> on the topic, Allison, of asking questions. Uh, we do have a Vietnamese Boat People Conversation Kit. It's a deck of cards with questions in English and Vietnamese designed for the very purpose that you just described, is that sometimes we don't have enough in conversations to learn about each other. And it also can feel intimidating when there's language barrier, generational gaps, et cetera. So the conversation kit is designed to just make a little bit more of a simple process of picking a card and asking a question and starting the conversation from there. Um, the second program that our organization has is called Vietnamese Boat People Journeys. It is um, at vietnameseboatpeople.org forward slash journeys. And we are encouraging the Vietnamese community to share your family's diaspora story on this digital meet um, in any way that you'd like to. So you can write a short story. You can upload a conversation that you recorded on your iPhone with your parents 
or a formal interview or a video, which however you want to share your story, but what we are trying to build is a community-driven platform that is a collection of our Viet voices and narratives from all over the world. So um, that project is free for the public. It's one of our programs to encourage storytelling and dialogue. So please check it out. Um, I just wanna thank everybody for showing up in tonight's discussion. I wanna thank our three guests for just being very um, open and honest. Thank you for taking the time. I hope this is just the beginning of other dialogues that you will be a part of when it comes to our organization and, and our listener base and the community that we engage. I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and thank you for helping us preserve history. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. And please, take a moment to rate us and provide us feedback. And if you have a story to share, contact us at stories at vietnameseboatpeople.org.